Welcome to Lockbox, a podcast providing real estate professionals with action items for success. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm going to be your host. I'm the founder of two real estate marketing and tech companies, Steezy.Digital and RealNurture.io. In this podcast, you'll learn from top 1% real estate and mortgage brokers the exact secrets to their success. Welcome to Lockbox. Welcome to the Lockbox Podcast. My name is Jeff Broger, and with me today is one of my favorite clients, Jason Lee. Thanks for being with us, Jason. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jeff. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you tell our listeners who you are and where you're from? Yeah, so my name is Jason Lee. I currently live in San Diego, California. I grew up in the Bay Area, 20 minutes east of San Francisco, and I moved down to San Diego to go to San Diego State. And then I graduated very recently, actually in 2019, but I was a full-time agent all of 2018 and 2019, so my junior and senior year, and then until end of my junior year. And then after I graduated, I became a full-time agent at South Coast Commercial. And then now I'm trying to start my own brand with Jeff and um, he's doing a great job. And I focus mainly on the sale of apartment complexes in San Diego. So I don't sell any single family homes. My pure like niche is like anywhere from two to like 20 units in San Diego County. So yeah, that's what I do. Awesome. And for Jason, he came to me through a referral and we helped him with branding from start to finish. We helped brand Jason Lee multifamily, uh, got him some amazing logos, but went that much deeper to get down to his story, which, you know, he just briefly told you starting at San Diego State University, meeting, you know, the broker of South Coast commercial at a job fair, making hundreds of cold calls during his you know junior and senior year closing two deals before he graduates and just now he's hooked and uh, this kid is a phenom i mean everyone's talking about him in san diego uh, even other investors that i know where i've said hey you know jason lee and they're, they're like everyone's talking about that kid so honestly man you're doing great and uh really excited to be working with you on the lead generation aspect as well it's uh, you know we're just kicking things off but uh, i'm really excited to go on this journey with you so, you know, we, we found out like what got you into the real estate industry, just to set the expectations of, you know, where you're at right now, even so early in your career, how many transactions did you do last year or, or I guess a volume? Yeah. So last year I sold 27 transactions, uh, represented about 40 clients and it was a total of right around almost $50 million worth of real estate. So right around there. Amazing. Yeah. You know, Many agents strive for years and years and years and, and you know, don't hit that mark. So it's amazing that you're already there. What advice would you give to another agent or broker who might be at like 20 million or, or 30 million and they really want to break through to that next level? And more importantly, what advice should they ignore? Oh, that's a great question. I think the number one thing that's helped me is mindset. Um, it's very easy to get sidetracked on what every other agent is doing in the industry because there's so many of them, right? You see an agent getting a listing here, you see him closing a deal here. You kind of get that anxiety that you got to keep up. But if you just focus on yourself and realize that your biggest enemy is yourself in the mirror, anyone will do really well. You just got to focus on coming in every single day, putting in the time, doing your tasks, staying focused, and your career will skyrocket. Even if you're just starting, if you just hammer out a year of working, you know, 50, 60 hours a week, coming in the office every single day, meeting new people, putting yourself out there. Anyone can do well. I'm no 
Like I don't have any special talent. I'm a very average guy who just works hard. So I think if anyone just puts in the time, this industry is amazing because anyone who works hard can do well. I'm not a natural born salesperson. I'm not a natural born marketer. I'm just someone who's learned it and applied the skills and had a really good mentor, which is also very important. So mm. um, I'd say mentorship, like going under like a really good senior broker under a good team is very important when you're first starting to like learn how to sell, how to put a deal together, how to learn the contract. And then from there, kind of taking that next step and branching off into your own thing, trying to create your own team, trying to recruit more people, honing on your craft. And then to answer your second question on what advice you should ignore, I would say don't focus on your competition. Like I said, um, a lot of people who I try to get advice from said, you know, look at your competition and see what they're doing. Worry about what deals they're looking at, who they're talking to. I would just say stay in your lane and spend time on the phone, spend time on social media, DM people, call people, text people, uh, focus on your marketing and just keep just hammering away and chipping away every single day. And no matter who you are, you'll do really well. That's inspiring. You know, it kind of gives everyone permission to go crush it in real estate. And you're so right. I mean, hard work gets you so far in, in real estate really is a contact sport. So, you know, despite all of the new technology, you know, the whole point of a lot of it is to just tee up the conversation and you got to take it from there. So I'm curious, you know, to go one level deeper, what is the single most important action that you take on a daily basis, which you attribute most to your success? Yeah. So everyone talks about the 80-20 rule, right? 20% of your efforts create 80% of your business or your rewards. Yep. I'd say that 20% for me is time spent on the phones. I think the fact that I came in and consistently, no matter how many deals I had, I always spent four to five hours a day on the phones prospecting for new clients. I think that's really propelled my business because no matter how busy I am, I always took time out of like my day and my week to make sure to keep keep prospecting because I work with about 25 agents in my office that are on other teams. And one big mistake I've seen is that when they have a lot of escrows going, a lot of listings going, they kind of stop prospecting and kind of get a little more laid back. But if you just keep like prospecting every single day consistently, even if you have 10 listings and 20 escrows, you'll do really well. That's such a great tip. And that conquers the entrepreneurial roller coaster where you make a couple sales or you have a bunch of deals that are almost about to close in the pipeline and you let off the gas because not only are you worrying about those deals closing, but also it's like, oh, I got a couple big checks coming, right? So easy to do. I've done it in the past as a sales representative. I've done both of the things you just described where I kind of sat on my laurels and, and let all the momentum die. And then, you know, all of a sudden you fast forward another month or two, I have no deals in the pipeline. I have to essentially start from scratch again, building up all that momentum. And then I've done it the other way, which you just mentioned, constant prospecting. And I can say the latter is far better. So for all of you out there, make sure to constantly prospect. And one of the reasons why you decided to work with Steezy Digital, my agency, was to offload a little bit of that. And so it's not only outbound marketing, but you're also creating some inbound lead opportunities. Isn't that right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think having a, a mix of inbound and outbound marketing is key. I think I focus mainly on outbound in the beginning. But now that I have some capital to work with, yep. putting that to work with Stegy's Digital, sending like postcard campaigns has been huge. So yeah, 100%. It's, it's good to have a mix of both. Yeah, I love that. And what is your percentage of uh, referral business to new business? 
I mean, I know that you're still early in your career, but you know, do you have any any systems in place? And with commercial, you could deal with the same investor for ten different deals, and that's not uncommon at all. So, you know, do you have any systems in place that are increasing the amount of referrals that you're getting or repeat business? Yeah, so a good amount of repeat business from certain clients, some key clients who are constantly moving and shaking, doing ten thirty one exchanges, always buying, always selling, right? So, yeah, I've had a few of those clients who I've done really well with. I make sure to follow up with a previous client every quarter just to see how they're doing. And that's worked really well. But yeah, a lot of it has been new business. I'd say it's about like 70, 30, like 70% new business, 30% repeat business, like each year. I've been in for about three and a half years, four years now. So it's still early to get a lot of referral business, but but yeah, it's, it's constantly been increasing as I've spent more time in the business. And your action for that would be making sure to at least have one touch per quarter with your past clients that have actually, you know, bought, sold or referred a real estate deal to you. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Some of the experts say more like maybe like once a month, but I found that once a quarter works great. And um, Mm -hmm. I feel like if you're touching them too much, it kind of gets almost annoying, but that's just my opinion. But some people say you should email them like every day and call them like every week or a month, but I don't know. I just thought my style, not as aggressive. You're still running deals by them if they're in your investor network. Right. Yeah. So exactly. This is not. This is not inclusive of that. Like it's. It, this is more of a personal touch. Hey, how you doing? How's the family? Is, is that right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's. Um. I think a call is the most personal touch you can do. So if you're just mm-hmm. sending digital stuff like text and emails, it, it doesn't mean much. But when you actually call them and kind of see what they're looking for and what their next goal is in real estate, it kind of helps spark some more conversations. And I've had calls where you know I call my past client and say, Oh, well, I have my friend who's looking to buy, or I have my friend who's going to sell, and you can kind of tap into their network if you actually make a person to person connection, you know, each quarter. So that's been huge for me. Amazing. I love that. So Tesla reinvented the car buying experience. I, you know, put down a hundred dollar deposit, just got my model wide, literally dropped off outside my door a couple weeks ago. It's amazing. I mean, why would you ever go to a dealership, waste four hours of your life that you can never get back, be pressured into buying something you probably didn't even want? Like, Tesla completely reinvented the car buying experience. And there are some companies that are coming into the space that are attempting to disrupt and reinvent the real estate purchasing and selling experience. So I'm curious, you know, do you think that the real estate transaction will be fully automated by like 2030? You know, I can't predict the future, but I know one thing. I think because of buying a car, it's a lot different because there's such less contracts involved. But with so many disclosures and contracts and counter offers and so many different things involved and all the negotiations you need to do for a multi-million dollar property. It's, I can't see it happening in 10 years, maybe in like 50 years. I don't know where technology will be, but um, I just see it being very hard to replace the human touch in real estate because that's the most important thing that drives successful deals. I can't really imagine a robot handling every transaction, every listing and having it work seamlessly. So yeah, I don't know. My answer is, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball, but I can't see it happening in 10 years for sure. Maybe, you know, 50, 50 years. I don't know. Maybe technology will be so good then that who knows what will happen, but that's my two cents. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And, you know, one of the big things with my company is we strive to use technology and marketing to tee up the communication and the conversation between an interested buyer or an interested seller and the right agent. And so the whole point is to not automate the conversation. The point is to automate, you know, teeing up the conversation and help with some of that, those repetitive tasks, some of that legwork, some of the follow-up, the nurture, right? So that you can get back in front of them. And so I completely agree with you that the 
conversation between buyer and seller and then the negotiation, the agency representation, and then you going to the other agent and having that negotiation, that is the most important aspect of, you know, what has gotten deals done for a hundred years. And I don't see that going anywhere anytime soon. So we have the same sentiment there. When it comes to lead generation sources, you know, we've talked about cold calling, mailing, you know, we were just getting started on digital for you. But, uh, you know, so far, what's been your number one most profitable lead gen source? I'd say definitely just time spent on the phones, honestly. That's been the okay. most profitable the last three, four years. It's a little different for commercial versus residential. Um, yeah. I've heard for residential that just DMing people on social media is extremely effective. Seeing people who are in your area who might be looking to buy. Postcard campaigns have worked really well too, though. It's really good for finding motivated sellers because it's kind of a personal, like like a letter that's like, dear, you know, Mrs. Smith. You know, um, are you looking to sell your property? I have two or three buyers looking in the area. It's a little more personal touch. So most people seem to respond at a higher rate than just like a just like a Facebook ad or something like that. But both work extremely well, but just for like different demographics. Like I think direct yeah. mailers work really well for like an old, like 70 to 90 year old demographic. And then like digital and social media works really well for like millennials and um, people who are like 40 to like 50, it does really well. But yeah, for me personally, at, to this point at least, the way I was taught in commercial real estate, it's all about the phone. So I've been doing that mainly, but I'd like to slowly like get more inbound marketing into my business to, to grow it. So Right. And, and you know, through our campaigns, it's a little too early to tell yet, but you've had two or three solid buyer conversations from even just the first... 80, 90 leads that we've sent you, which is amazing. You know, that for online lead generation, usually it's like 100 to 1. Uh, and so, you know, you've got a couple opportunities there. Really curious to see how that pans out. Can you approximate their ages or do you have any of that information from the two or three buyer leads that have come in so far from social? Yeah, I'd say they're probably both in their mid-30s. Really? Yeah, right around there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because Facebook in particular, it's so interesting. It's really easy to think like all social media only appeals to millennials or Gen X, but Facebook has tons of baby boomers on there, you know, watching their their grandkids' soccer games and stuff like that. Like, so it's so interesting. There is a huge spread of leads from Facebook in particular. Instagram's different. You know, Instagram, it is pretty much just millennial and Gen X. Um, and I don't even run real estate lead generation ads on other social platforms like TikTok or Snapchat. It's like, why? Um, but uh, yeah, I, I was curious to see, you know, what the ages or the approximate ages were for those. So right now, you know, you're helping multifamily, you're helping to transact multifamily properties. And so do you leverage digital marketing at all to gain exposure to your listings? Um, you know, once you get that locked down and you maybe you do a flip and you're ready to sell it, you know, how are you marketing those listings? So we subscribe to a national commercial real estate platform called CoStar and LoopNet. And they mm -hmm. cost a lot of money, but it gives us access to market the listing to everyone in the United States. I think even international too with certain plans. So that's been huge to market listings. Um, of course, the MLS, but that's standard. I would like to start, you know, having an edge over other agents in my industry because a lot of people in the commercial real estate industry are very archaic. Like digital marketing is so far away from what they're used to. So I think adding that social media marketing or marketing on Google for listings would be huge because it just gives you a chance to get more eyes on your listing to investors. So yeah, I definitely think it's going to be more and more involved in the future for sure in any real estate industry. 
Cool. Yeah, we could talk about that. I mean, the price points of these properties justify a, a similar quality of video and marketing to a luxury residential listing, right? When there's a luxury residential listing that's $3 million, you know, typically the broker has no problem spending $1,500 for a cinematic quality drone footage and in and out video of the property. And then I'll run an ad campaign to it to get it out 20,000, 100,000 views to the right types of people. And not only does that help with your client who you're listing it for, you say, hey, look at all this traffic we're generating. We've already gotten multiple offers. But that helps in future listing appointments saying, look how we market our listings. Look how different we are. So we could totally talk about that. And I think it makes complete sense for commercial. No, I 100% agree. I think... I think the marketing is very far behind in the commercial real estate space compared to luxury residential, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, definitely. There's enough capital to be spent from those larger commissions in commercial real estate deals that should be used towards marketing for the clients. So yeah, definitely. I agree. Awesome. What do you do for your clients that nobody else in the industry does uh, th- that you know of? Is there anything unique, a, a little golden nugget that you, you offer or, you know, a type of relation building, relationship building tactic that you use? I can't speak for anyone else, but um, I think whenever I get a listing, it's my fiduciary obligation to do everything I can for that client to make sure they get the highest price possible. So I make sure to do every single thing I can do in order to get as many eyes as possible on that listing. So I'll put on all the internet platforms that I subscribe to, but I'll also, you know, cold call every single owner in that zip code and tell them, hey, your neighbor's property is for sale on the street. Are you looking to buy it? Because that kind of creates some synergy in that zip code and people start talking about it. So that's one thing a lot of agents have realized don't want to do is calling the neighbors and the, the neighboring zip code. I make sure to send postcard campaigns to everyone in San Diego County that there's a new listing that's, you know, if it's 10 miles away from them, from where they own a property, five to 10 miles, I usually send it to that area. So if I, if I have a property listed in central San Diego, I'll send it to like North Park, Normal Heights, City Heights, all that metro location to make sure that everyone in the area knows that there's a property for sale. So I think I really focus really hard on getting as many eyes as possible on a listing whenever I get a listing because it's a huge honor to get that from a client because they're trusting you with their biggest investment probably in their life. So I just make sure I do every single thing I can to service them in the best way. And then when they do, and then when I, if I do a good job, they always end up coming back to me. So whenever you take care of the client, which is the philosophy I've had, it's just snowball from there. So it's important to, you know, be like a really tough prospect or always finding new like relationships or trying to, but it's, I think it's more important to like take care of the ones you already have and make sure that you're going the extra mile to make sure you're always searching for properties for them. You're always finding the best buyer. You're always trying to advise them on the, on the next like news event or current events coming up. That's what I try to do as well is I always try to keep them updated on interest rates, on any new news that might've came up, any new government laws in California and the US. So the whole nine yards. So I don't, yeah, I don't know. So maybe other agents do that too, but yeah, I guess that's what kind of separates me is I just go the extra mile and put my client's interests above my own. Right. Which is yeah. where fiduciary responsibility comes in. The thing that caught my attention mm-hmm. the most is you doing a mail drop for a listing. So not just to promote yourself or, you know, the motivated seller one, you know, going after new listings, but you let everyone know in those areas that you have a new listing that is for sale to get more eyeballs on it. Very interesting. Have you had not only callers to buy, but have you actually generated other listings from that strategy? 100%. Yeah, totally. Mm. 
Because it's a good conversation starter. I mean, if you're an agent who has a listing in their zip code, you're automatically seen within like the first seven seconds from that that potential buyer that you are doing business, right? So right. people want to do business with people who are doing business. So if you come knocking on someone's doorstep with a 10-unit listing down the street, they're going to probably list what you have to say. So it's much easier to get a conversation started. So yeah, listings get listings for sure if you do it right. So yeah, 100%. It's been a really good strategy for me. Awesome. Hey, what are one to three books that have greatly influenced your life and career? Oh, I'd say the number one book is How to Win and Influence Friends by Dale Carnegie. That's probably mm-hmm. top of the list. I'm in the people business, so learning human psychology and knowing how to develop relationships is the most important thing. So definitely that book. I'd say Powerful. It was from the, I forget her name, it's Patty something, but she was like the COO of Netflix, I think, behind Reed Hastings, but her book was extremely good. I just read that book and it's all about company culture and how to build a good team, um, how to take care of your people. So that's that was a huge one that changed my way of thinking. And then a third book I'd say was probably The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. Huge. <laughs> I mean, that's a classic, right? But that definitely changed my mind and how I think about life. So that was a huge one for me as well. Absolutely. Now, I've read two out of those three multiple times. I've read How to Win Friends and Influence People and The 4-Hour Workweek. I uh, have not read, was it Powerful? Yeah, Powerful. Yeah, powerful. if you just look up Powerful on Netflix, yeah. the book will come up. Yeah, yeah, that'll be, that'll be a good one. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. So from an outside perspective, you know, listeners out there, they're like, man, this guy, he's in his early 20s, crushing it in commercial real estate, right? Fresh out of college, super successful. But I'm sure that there is more to the story. So how has a failure or an apparent failure set you up for later success? You know, do you have a, like a favorite failure of yours? Favorite failure? I would probably say what's driven me the most is definitely seeing my parents' failure. So I'd say that I was mm-hmm. a very troublesome kid. So I always would argue with my parents. But the number one thing is I'd always see them argue about money growing up. So I didn't want that for my family in the future. So I kind of took that and those experiences and put them into my own narrative and wanted to work hard to make sure that money would never be an issue for me in my life. I've seen my mom try to start a business an hour away from my house, try to open like a, a smoothie shop. It went out of business when I was in fifth grade. And then, so like she had a language barrier too. So she's native from South Korea. So she learned English very late in her life. So it's hard for her to communicate. So communication is key in business, right? Or if you want any kind of good job. So yeah, she didn't have that. So she didn't have the same opportunity that I could have in my future, going to college in a beautiful city like San Diego, having the best career I could ever ask for. So I'm extremely grateful where I'm at now. But I think what's gotten me here is the drive and the pain from seeing my parents struggle and me wanting to help them. and you know, buy them a house, give them the life they always wanted, take them to vacations, you know, buy them an investment property. So that's been the most influential drive that's taken me to this point in my life. Yeah, that's powerful. We share that, by the way. And my mom and my stepdad are always, were always arguing about money. And, and uh, you know, my mom and dad had money issues, big reason why they split up. And I had that same feeling as a kid, like, I never want this to be now, not a thing for me, especially, but I also want to take care of, you know, my mom, my my family, my sisters, and and that kind of like put that on my back as a kid to like just 
go become so financially free that you know my generation and future generations wouldn't have to worry about it. And uh, you know, since then, I've realized like I mean, they're they're all grown adults, like they're doing fine. They made it this far; they could take care of themselves. So I've alleviated some of that pressure. But uh, I remember us identifying that in your branding questionnaire, and then the practices that we did after that. That like your true why, like your your deeper why is you know to retire your parents, and then also to help others. Like you want to help as many people as possible with multifamily real estate investment. It's the most forgiving asset is one of the big things that you said. And uh, it's so true. You know, it's it's an amazing asset that not only cash flows you now, but builds an equity. And worst case, I mean, as long as you're not over leveraged, just hang on to it. <laughs> like it's, it's such an amazing asset. So really cool why and uh, excited to help you grow your business. What is one of the most worthwhile investments that you've you've ever made? It can be non-monetary, but uh, I'm really curious to, to see what that answer is for you. Yeah, it's a great question. I would say the best investment I've ever made is learning from my failures. I'd say a lot of people in their minds, in their narratives, they find that when they fail, that you know it's over. Like they can't do this. They lose confidence. They can't do that. It's not for me. But I'd say the number one thing that's propelled me is failing forward. So every time I fail, every time I lose a listing, every time I lose a deal, every time I screw up a call, I've just taken the time to like really internalize it and think about it and write down what I could do better next time. And then next time it happens, I'm ready for it. So I'd say just like having the mindset to learn from failures and knowing that that's not like the end all be all, because, you know, it's just like sports. Like if someone strikes out in baseball, that's a professional athlete, they're not going to never go up to bat again. I mean, he's going to go up, you know, at the next inning and try again. So like, that's just how I internalize failure. And that's what's created some success for me so far. Still, still early, but my early success. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Are there any quotes that you live by? You know, sayings, mantras, things that get you through those <laughs> hard moments? Honestly, I'm not really a quote guy. I'll be honest. I couldn't give you one like inspirational quote, honestly, that comes to my head, but I've definitely read, read a good amount, but like none like sticks in my head where I'm like yeah. thinking about it. Yeah. None that you like say in the trenches when you're you just lost the listing <laughs> and you're down, nothing like that. <laughs> no, 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 I have not, but maybe I should, maybe it'll help. Who knows? But yeah, it's, it's interesting. What about you? You know, uh, there's this one and it turns out that it doesn't actually even mean that thing. So it was a Latin quote or no, yeah, like ancient Latin or whatever. And uh, it's called Cursum Proficio. And my uh, co-cutlery manager, my like uh, sales manager, when I was like 18 years old, he had it on his wall in Encinitas when we were like selling tons of Cutco knives and learning sales. And he told me that it meant stay the course, right? And so I then later looked it up and that's not what it means. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it did get me through some times when I was like, you know, just had a no sale or a no show, just drove across the county and they weren't even there. And, you know, I'm so upset and whatever and broke as a college kid trying to just make money. And and then I would think, you know what, stay the course. Like I have this opportunity. I, you know, really know that I can do this. I, I'm a hard worker. I'm going to make it happen. And so despite that no show, I would go door knock like around and try and make an appointment happen in that area and just say, Hey, do you know Sally, the neighbor? Because I knew her name because I booked the appointment with her. 
And they'd be like, oh yeah, of course. And so that was my warm intro. And I would most times get an appointment out of that no-show rather than just sulking and driving away, I would make it happen. So that was a good one for me. Awesome. I love that one. Yeah. So do you have any unusual habits or uh, absurd things that you love? This is kind of a off the wall question. Uh, I'll give you an example. I have this, uh, this sub pack. It's like a backpack that you wear. And you know how music can put you in state? It can like totally you know, get you fired up or make you cry. Um, <laughs> I use this sometimes in the mornings, but uh, basically it, it's a part of my routine where I'll listen to some of my favorite songs and it wakes me up more than the strongest cup of coffee. It basically, it reenacts the feeling of a subwoofer of uh, the speaker, the bass aspect of a speaker and you wear it like a backpack. So it's like you're at a concert or a show at the front row with a big sound system, except doesn't disturb your neighbors, you know? So uh, it's really cool and I love it. And that's kind of an absurd thing or habit that I had discovered and I just love to do. So is there anything like that for you? Before I answer that, what's that called? It's called that the sub pack. The sub pack? And every time and I wear say it, it on a like podcast, headphones? yeah, every time I say it on a podcast, <laughs> The other person's like, I want one. <laughs> yeah, it sounds cool. It sounds awesome. Yeah. yeah, you wear headphones for the mids and highs, for the vocals and all the instruments and the effects. And then the sub frequency goes to the backpack and it like shakes your body when the sub hits. It's really cool. Wow. I'd say an absurd habit I have. Oh, man. What do I do that's weird? I would say that, so I meditate every morning at night. And um, I'd say a stupid cheesy thing I do is like, like the last like five minutes of my meditation, I always like do like affirmations in my head. Like, like you're going to win the day. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. You're going to, you know, you're going to make this much money this year. You're going to help this many clients this year. I just like say like stuff in my head to like try to like affirm it in my head to to where I put those affirmations to action. Mm. So that's kind of a weird thing that I do that, you know, people probably find weird, but I mean, I think it's helped me a little bit, but yeah, yeah, clearly. That's powerful. I, yeah. I love that you do that. I mean, a lot of people yeah. will meditate, but the affirmation aspect at the end, that's key. I also that's have this, um, yeah, yeah. I also have this little five minute gratitude journal right here. It's kind of going away right there. There we go. Yeah. 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 This kind of odd habit too. It's just like a little journal that I bought on Amazon and you basically write down like three, like three things you're grateful for. And there's like a template, like for example, it's like what I love most of my community, something that went right today something about myself I would never change. And it has like little inspirational quotes. So that's how I become like a little more grateful about the life that I have and not always just chasing too much. So that's another odd habit that I have. That's a cool one. I like that. Yeah. Gratitude lists are a great way to increase your happiness. I have a, one of my like manifesto statements for a, a brand and, and a company that I have is gratitude is the prerequisite to happiness. It's like in, in college, you got to take the prerequisites before you get to the masters, right? And, and so if you aren't grateful, it is impossible to be happy. I've, I've discovered this. You could have everything in the world. And if you're not grateful for it, you're going to be looking at what else you could be having and looking at the grass is greener. And guess what? You're going to be miserable because you're comparing and you know, you're not staying in the moment. But the moment that you can just switch it to gratitude, all of a sudden you can experience that fulfillment and happiness for what you already have. So if you want to have more happiness, go buy the five minute gratitude journal. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So, I love it. I love that. 
you know, back to real estate, you know, what are some of the bad recommendations that you hear given to uh, other real estate professionals? Something bad that I hear, a bad recommendation, I would say something is that, so a, a good example I'd say is, I kind of mentioned before is worrying too much about your peers, but also um, another big one is trying to do too much at once. So like I hear some like higher up agents or brokers, I've heard them like, say in like other videos and in like seminars that you should do like a bunch of different things at once for prospecting or your daily tasks. And I feel like when people try to like overload your plate with too much stuff, like you kind of just get, get lost in the clutter. So like I've heard, you know, people in my own company just try to do too much at once and kind of like the crystal ball syndrome, right? Like trying the new method for finding a client or doing this or doing that. Like I'd say, Focusing one thing at a, at a time and growing it and then building your next machine is the most important thing. And I feel like a lot of coaches or gurus in this industry try to like just pile you with a bunch of like methods and strategies and principles that like, yeah, they're good to implement. But if you try to do it all at once, like the new agent's going to just implode and not know where to start. So I'd say that's like one example of that one example of something that's like not the best advice in my opinion. Yeah. No, that's true. Chasing the shiny objects. It's the squirrel, right? Squirrel and going after the new thing and, and not giving what you already had invested in starting up enough chance or energy to actually get off the ground. That's great concept. And I know a lot of top producers that have that similar concept. You know, one of my top clients says, if you're not willing to try something for a year, don't try it. If you're just going to be another agent that goes out there and tries something for a month, two or three and says it doesn't work. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe it just took a little bit more focus, a little bit more time. These deals take time. So really like that. That's a, that's a good one. Do you have a process for saying no? You seem like you have a lot of discipline around what your most important activities are. And it's so easy being any type of entrepreneur, but especially a, you know, a real estate agent to get caught up in the minutia, the little tasks and the things like that. But you always made time to call clients, you know, you said four or five hours a day um, and doing the most important things. So that means you probably have to say no a lot. And I'm curious, you know, what's, what's your process for that? Yeah. So when I have something I need to get done, for example, like prospecting in the morning, I'll put my phone on airplane mode. I'll turn off like my email, like all my like MLS stuff, everything that'll like distract me. And I'll just focus on the task at hand because nothing is really, I mean, I realized that nothing in this industry needs your immediate attention like right away or else you're going to, you know, blow up a deal or lose an escrow, lose a listing. If you call that person back or email them back a couple hours later, it's no big deal. So I just think like time blocking and like removing your distractions has been the most, the most effective way for me to say no to like all the different notifications I get. Cause like when I'm, when I'm done, like working on something for like an hour or two, like I'll turn my phone on or I'll turn my notifications back on. I get like a, you know, ton of emails. Right. So I feel like if you're slowly checking email and trying to do one thing and you're like looking back and forth on your phone, computer, your other screen, it, it just, your production just goes to crap. So that's something that's really helped me like say no to like a bunch of things coming in and like that's saying no blocking. to like, yeah, time blocking. Exactly. And saying no to like, if you like need to like get something done, like saying no to like your coworkers, lunches, like going to lunch with your coworkers, going out with your friends. If you're like really wanting to like be successful in this business, you got to say no to a lot of what your friends want to do, what your coworkers want to do, what your team wants to do. You got to like be a lone ranger most of the time and just like do your stuff and get in and get out. So that's like one big thing that's 
helped me say no to a lot of things and maximize my productivity. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I like the flicking off email and, and getting in the zone, creating a, a space where you can single task and focus. Focus is the most important action or characteristic, I guess you'd say, of high performers. Actually, uh, Melinda Gates was in a room with like the wealthiest people in the world. It was like Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, like, I mean, you name it. It was just like the 25 wealthiest people in the world. And she said, write down one word on a piece of paper, fold it up and, you know, put it in the hat. And that word should be the thing that you attribute most to your success, right? Like what kind of, you know, characteristic and guess what all of them said, focus. So in a world where we're so distracted and, you know, we have a million notifications going off, that's such a good point that, you know, shutting things off and just getting what you need to get done that's most important first and just, hey, get back to people later. Such a good point. Really love that. And, um, you know, clearly it works. So is there a question I should have asked you? Uh, is there something that you want to elaborate on from earlier? None that comes to mind. I mean, I think... Uh, all the questions were great. To elaborate, I mean, I think if you're, whether you're a top producer or someone just getting started, the most important thing is having a good mentor, having a good support team, if possible, good coach, accountability buddy, something to keep you accountable. And um, just having a really important why, like what is your why is the most important thing? Because if you don't have a why, then you're going to tell yourself, why should I work? So mm. that's just been the most important thing that I, I want to say with this with this podcast episode. So yeah, I think that's really it. I love that. If you don't have a why, then you're going to ask, why should I work? That's great. Well, how can listeners contact you if they're interested in doing a deal or learning more? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, anyone can just text me at my cell. It's 858-336-9688. Or you can go on my website at www.jlm.realestate. So either or. Awesome. Jason Lee, everyone from Jason Lee Multifamily. And, uh, you know, thank you again so much for coming on here, talking about commercial real estate, multifamily, lead generation tactics. I mean, you, you already dropped so much value. Uh, I really do appreciate it. And I know my listeners are going to love it. Thanks, Jeff. I really appreciate you having me on. I mean, this is a great podcast that you're doing, and I think it's going to help a lot of people. So thanks for having me. It's an honor. Absolutely. Talk soon. Yeah. Talk soon, Jeff. Thank you for listening. If you want to accomplish your real estate goals, then I highly suggest downloading my free ultimate real estate goal setting framework. The link is in the description of the show and it will help you break down your annual income goal into the amount of phone calls, appointments, or open houses you need in order to achieve that goal. Thank you so much and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.